right, praise the Lord. First Corinthians chapter nine. Let me ask you a question at the beginning. Is it appropriate for a Christian to think about their Christian life like a race? Yes, okay. How about a fight? How about a contest? Oh, less, less yeses on that one, but isn't a race a contest? Is it a fight a contest? How about the phrase, winner takes all? Does that apply to the Christian life? Huh, I heard a couple of yeah, on that one. That was good. Interesting. Interesting. I realize that it, that kind of found, sounds weird. Race sounds good. Fight, a little less good. Okay, contest. All right, I guess technically the winner takes all. Well, hold on a minute. But let's take a look at this passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 9 from Paul. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath or crown. I'm reading from the English Standard Version here. But we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Let's back it up. Let's do some good old Calvary Chapel verse by verse here. Verse 24. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Paul had no problem with using an athletic framework to describe the Christian life. He says in lots of different places, things like, I've run the race. He'll tell us, fight the good fight. I wanna make sure that I have not run in vain. He told Timothy, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So what, we're talking about crowns now? That's exactly what he said. Paul was writing this letter to the Corinthians, which means the church that was in the city of Corinth. Now, Corinth is situated on something called an isthmus, I-S-T-H-mus, isthmus. It's like the worst version of Christmas, but it's an isthmus, all right? And you can laugh. Some of these are jokes. It's okay. All right? There you go. Isthmus. This is a tiny little spit of land that connects two larger pieces of land, and that's why Corinth became a great trade city. Now, they had something there called the Isthmian Games. Everybody say Isthmian. Got to get your tongue into it. Isthmian. These are very much, and in fact, exactly like the Olympic Games. If you know your Greco-Roman history, these games that they would have, these sporting contests, were a big part of their culture, much like it is for ours. If you've ever read the Odyssey or the Iliad or the Aeneid, they'll like take a break in the middle of war to have a, a contest. <laughs> they'll have a race. They'll, well, let's have a boxing match instead, and then we'll get back to the battle. And it's strange to us, but it was venerated in this culture. And something about that, we know that Paul was in Corinth from 50 to 52 AD. We know that because of the names of the officials that were there while he was teaching. But in 51 AD, the Isthmian Games were held, which means Paul was basically in whatever city is hosting the Olympics while the Olympics were there. And something about that caught his imagination. Paul was a dude. Paul was a bro. He understood why sports were exciting. And we're going to be using a lot of sports imagery today because Paul does. Sports can capture our imagination. One thing that captured my imagination was in 2004. I was 13 years old, which is why this will make sense to you. Rampage Jackson was in the octagon with Ricardo Arona. I saw a bunch of male heads do this. That was wonderful. As soon as I said Rampage Jackson. Now, this was a UFC mixed martial arts fight. Rampage is on the ground on his knees. Ricardo Arona has his legs locked around his neck and is trying to choke him out. 
Now you or I, when a big strong guy has his legs wrapped around our neck trying to choke us out, would probably tap out or try to go, or at the very least try to get out of the hold. But Rampage manages to get to his feet, picks up this big old dude over his head and slammed him back on the canvas. Knocked him out instantly. And for me, as a 13-year-old boy, that captured my imagination. How do I learn how to do that? That's, it was, oh, we were watching the highlights in, in Buffalo Wild Wings, if I'm not mistaken, watching that with my friends. And man, that's, that's incredible. There's something about that competitive spirit that fires you up a little bit. And Paul shared that. And what Paul is telling us here is that that competitive athletic spirit is not just something that Christians ought to emulate. It's something they ought to imitate and apply to their Christian life. He says, every runner runs, but only one receives the prize. Now, I understand the Christian life theologically is not winner take all, right? We're all going to be together, myriads upon myriads. But Paul says, I want you to treat your Christian life like it's a race and you're not worried about getting no personal best. You want to get first place. Run that you may obtain that prize. This Greek word for obtain is katalambano. Any, any seminary students in here? Any Greek geeks in here like me? No? Okay, well, I'm going to teach you some today. Lambano on its own means to receive or to take, right? Just to get something. When you take that word kata, which means down or it means against, you intensify that word. And no longer does it mean get. It means give me that. It means seize, it means capture, it means running, and I'm gonna grab that before you do. This is Paul's word, that you may seize first prize. You have God's biblical permission to live your life with that sanctified ambition and drive of a great athlete. I said sanctified ambition, don't think vainglory here. Paul's ambition, according to Philippians, what? That by any means necessary, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That's Paul's ambition. Romans 15, 20. My, make it my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. So Paul says, when it comes to your spiritual life, this thing that you love in this domain over here, do that for Jesus. Philippians chapter three. Shall we read this together? You know these verses, but let's read them with this in mind. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. But he, he says straining forward. Everybody say straining. straining. There you go. Some of you were reluctant. That's okay. Straining forward. Think of somebody, it's a wind sprint and it's this close and one guy throws out his chest, straining towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He finishes in verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. I love that verse. Paul goes, straining towards the goal, intense athletic effort. That's Christian maturity. And Paul goes, now, if you disagree, don't worry. God will explain it to you sometime. Paul did not see passive Christianity as mature Christianity, waiting around for God to grab hold of you and make you do stuff. That's not why we were created. Genesis 1.28, what did God tell Adam? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Basically, get out into that big old beautiful world I made you and make something out of it, Adam. I can't wait to see what you do and to see what your kids do. Mature Christianity is active Christianity. Was David passive? I'm asking you, was David passive? 
Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that thinks he can defy the armies of the living God? Was John the Baptist weak? <laughs> he was a lot of things. I don't know if weak is what you want to use. You brood of vipers. Who warned you? Who invited you to come to the altar call? Get out of here. Can you imagine your pastor sending people away from the altar call? That's what John the Baptist did. You, no, you. Yes, I'm talking to you. Get out of here. Hey, I want to repent. Okay, go prove to me that you've repented and then I'll baptize you. Was Jesus a pushover? Well, Jesus died on the cross. Yeah, but what did he say? No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own will and I have authority to pick it back up again. That is the authority I've received from my father. So we're establishing this first. According to 1 Corinthians 24, it is, a pro it is appropriate. It is good. It is necessary to think of your Christian life as a race or a contest, or a fight, or a basketball game, whatever you're into, so that you take that kind of energy and effort and apply it to your walk with Jesus. That's exactly what he says, verse 25. He establishes the, the comparison in verse 24, and then in verse 25, he continues. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So he straight up says, an athlete. He's comparing the Christian to an athlete. And that word in Greek is agonizamenos. Look at the first half of that. Can you see the word agony in there? The word agonize? That's where our word agony comes from. It means to agonize or to struggle or to fight. And this specifically comes from the world of Greco-Roman athletics, specifically wrestling. You can kind of see that, right? The, the agony of trying to force some guy down onto the ground and hold him down and all the, the rules that apply to that. They would go to what was called the agon and they would compete. And Paul says, they master themselves as athletes to achieve a perishable crown. Anybody who wants to win anything has to master themselves. It doesn't matter if you're trying to learn guitar. It doesn't matter if you're trying to speed run Breath of the Wild. You've got to master yourself. Some of you don't know what that is. Don't worry about it. We're going to keep going, okay? Anybody wrestle in high school? Anybody here or after? Yeah, y'all are weird people. Anybody have any wrestling friends in high school? I did. Name was Caleb. And Caleb was awesome, but Caleb ate weird because he was a wrestler. If he needed to gain weight, Caleb would come to the table. You see all these communion trays. Like that's how much spaghetti he would eat every day because he needed to gain half a pound to make weight. But then if he, if he wasn't, he'd wear a jacket and zip it up all the way to the neck and try and sweat out weight and eat nothing and sit there like this. <laughs> Mastery of the body. Great champions are single-minded in their focus and their work ethic. Steph Curry won his fourth ring this year. I don't know how y'all feel about that, but there it is anyway. Not as many as Kobe. That was my guy who had five. And of course, the great Michael Jordan had six. Anybody know who that last guy is? Bill Russell. Anybody know how many rings Bill Russell had? Eleven. Eleven. He had more rings, more championships than fingers. So much for LeBron, huh? That part's personal. You don't need to write that down in your notes. But you look at these guys, you look at the interviews, you look at the stories, you watch that Jordan documentary that came out. That, that's like, it's a wonderful life for me. I watch it like every year now. It's, you almost don't really like these people. You see like, what, do you do anything else other than basketball? No, because that's what they want. They're single-minded in their focus. Even among the greatest in the world, they're working the hardest. Now, Paul looks at that and sees it and recognizes that it's admirable. But his then application is, can't we do at least that for Jesus? To overcome sin? 
to take the gospel to the whole world, they do it to receive a perishable crown. And that word, I, like I said, the English standard is wreath. It's a laurel wreath. Have you ever seen a painting or a statue of Caesar or if you've been to Little Caesar's Pizza and you've seen they've got that little wreath, the, 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 yes, that, some of y'all like that's more my speed, right? The, the leaves around his ears. That's a laurel. A laurel is a kind of tree. They would make these wreaths out of it and that's the crown that you would get when you won. We do gold medals or things like that now. Now Paul sees that there's a great image. This thing is going to shrivel up and die. It's going to shrivel up and die. And they go through all of that, eating pounds of spaghetti and then not doing anything else for some leaves. And he says, now, if they're willing to do that, shouldn't we do at least that for Jesus? The word for wreath is Stephanos. And, and that's what it means. Laurel. There's another word diadem in the Bible that refers to a king's crown. This is not talking about that kind of crown. This is the kind of crown that is won by victory. The crown of righteousness. Second Timothy four, verse eight. James in Revelation, the crown of life. 1 Peter 5, the crown of glory. These are the kinds of crowns we're searching for. And if we're going after those kinds of crowns, Paul's point is we can do a little more than we're doing. Because 2 Corinthians 5.10, this is when we're going to receive these crowns. He says, we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. Y'all have heard of the Bema seat, right? Bema seats, it means judgment seat. But here's, here's something pretty cool. This is where our works are going to be evaluated and there's going to be rewards and all that. The Bible is not using a judicial metaphor when it talks about the judgment seat. It's not talking about a courtroom. It ain't that kind of judge. That's about guilty or not guilty. Now that's already been settled for you. Where was that settled? At the cross, right? So if we're going to stand before the judgment seat, the Bema seat, he's talking about something else. He's talking and using another athletic metaphor. Just like if you watch diving or something in the Olympics, they have scores, the judge's table, the judgment seat, they're giving scores. And we know this because if you read the other passage, 1 Corinthians 12, he said, if anyone builds on the foundation using the image of a building for your Christian life, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw. Each one's work will become manifest for the day, capital D, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved but only as through fire. Paul makes it clear. When the Christian stands before the judgment seat, heaven and hell is not the issue. He himself, even the one that loses everything, even the person whose life is, is rendered worthless by Jesus will still be saved because salvation is by grace, not by works. So we're not talking about that today. We're talking about your life. And it's gonna be like standing before the judge and receiving a reward. And another word for reward is prize. Paul said in Philippians, I'm reaching for the prize. There's going to be prizes in heaven. Say prizes. I don't know. That sounds kind of carnal. Well, I didn't come up with that. That's Paul. That's Jesus. There's going to be rewards. There's going to be laurels, crowns that are handed out in heaven. And that's what we're living for. That's the target. People, CEOs and entrepreneurs put in so much time and energy and effort to make money. People put in all this time and effort in order to become famous or to win championships. We're doing that same thing because we're looking forward to that judgment seat one day. That's the goal. Our lives are going to be evaluated, not just your ministry, 
but your personal life, your relationships, how you conducted yourself in an occupation. So if you know that, how are you going to let some athlete put forth more effort than you? Think about that, right? That's what Paul's getting at. He goes, look at that guy. He doesn't have an ounce of body fat so that he can win a race and get some leaves and go home. And he's not saying that that's a bad thing to do. He's saying, but do it also and especially for Jesus to overcome sin, to evangelize the world, to serve in God's congregation. That's what Paul did, as he says in verse 26. So I, he says, do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. I do not run aimlessly. Anybody ever try to get into running and felt like you were running aimlessly? I've felt that many times. I do not box as one beating the air. There are some people that they take karate or kung fu and they can do all the cool kata and it looks wonderful, but then they get in at a fight with some big ugly dude that's never been in a gym a day in his life and they get beat down, right? Because they can beat the air, but they can't hit anybody. Paul says, I don't do that. I know where I'm going. And when I try to strike, you better believe I'm going to hit something. I have targets and I'm going for them. He didn't shadow box with life. Remember Romans 15, 20. My ambition is to preach the gospel where Christ is not named. And he spared no effort in fulfilling that goal. But we can shadow box, Christians. What do I mean by shadow boxing the life that God has given you? Playing church is shadow boxing. You show up, you look nice, you smile, you sit through the message, you sit through the music. People ask you how you're doing. You say, I'm too blessed to be stressed. And you go home. And you think that that's sufficient. It's not sufficient. It's shadow boxing. In another very real sense, there are some of y'all that are just not living the life that God's given you. Some of y'all should have moved out a long time ago. Some of y'all are well past the point where it's like, just get married already. What are you waiting for? Because you're shadow boxing, moving from one relationship to the other, just trying to find the one. No, you're shadow boxing. You're putting it off because you're afraid to commit to something. You're afraid that all of this someday might actually be judged by something. And guess what? It will be, but it's worse than that. This mushy middle is going to be judged too. It's already because we're, we're going to see our whole life brought before Jesus. Life is not mushy. Life is like, let's use another Greek image here. I love this illustration. If you've ever read the story of Jason and the Golden Fleece, right, the Argonauts, they went, pretty much went from one island to the next, and every island was a new adventure. It's kind of cool. Well, one of them, they meet a guy named King Amicus. And what Amicus says is, you can't pass my island until one of you guys can beat me in a boxing match. And this is not 10 rounds and see what the score is. This is, we'll fight until somebody's dead, and that's how we know who won. Very simple. You know, those were the days, back in the rugged, you know, individualist days of that. That's a joke, guys. It's okay. <laughs> This guy thinks we should beat people to death. No, he doesn't. But what they have to do is they have to fight King Amicus. And that's what life is like. Life is like you get to a point where the devil steps up and says, you're not getting past this until you win this fight. And some of you all have experienced that. You do really good in your walk with Jesus and then pow, you run into the same wall every time. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe it's kindness. It's a fight. Oh, I guess that's not where God means me to be. Oh, yes, it is. But it's a fight. It's a conflict. And we've got to think of ourselves as spiritual athletes. You know, that's how the, uh, the desert monks used to refer to themselves as spiritual athletes. Uh, St. Anthony the Great, who was in Egypt. I mean, this guy did some weird stuff, okay? He wore a hair shirt toward the end of his life. You know, he did, he's, he's kind of a weird dude. But they would compete with each other to see who can fast the longest. 
Who can have the longest nightly vigil? Who can memorize the largest swath of scripture? And we hear that and we go, ha, legalism. Yeah, you're probably right. But then surely you have a better plan then, right? If that's legalism, if their method of trying to overcome the flesh became carnal and became just a, another competition, surely we've got something better, don't we? The mindset was not wrong, even if maybe where it led to wasn't a good thing. Jesus tells us in Luke 16, he gives us a, a parable of the shrewd steward. Do you remember this one? The shrewd steward. This one they don't put in the kids' Bibles. But what this is, is there's a guy who's been managing his master's money. He's done a terrible job, lost him all this money. Master says, fine, you're fired. Go clear out the books. And at the end of the day, you're going home. So what this guy does is he calls all of his master's clients, all of his debtors and says, hey, you owe him how much money? Guess what? I'm just cutting it in half. I have authority to do that because I'm not fired until five o'clock today. So he cuts all their debts in half. Why? Because he says, well, I'm already getting fired. I might as well make one of these guys like me. Then they'll hire me. And then the, the master, it says, was impressed by the shrewd steward. And what Jesus says in verse eight is, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Jesus wasn't saying it was good that this guy lied. He was saying, that's awful sneaky and clever. He goes, I wish the people in my church put at least that much effort into doing what I've asked them to do. I wish these people that are so good at their job would take some of that skill and energy and drive and ingenuity and apply it to the work of the church. I wish some of them that were so skilled and so athletic would apply some of that same energy that gets them up at four in the morning to go to the gym to get them to come and serve me and to overcome sin. That's what Paul says. In the first part of verse 27, he says, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Very uh, safe translation, that one. We're going to look at this together. Paul says, I discipline my body. That word for discipline in Greek is hupopiazzo. That's a great one. Everybody say hupopiazzo. That's just fun to say, right? Hupo means under. Piazzo means to strike. That word means to strike under the eye. It is often translated to give someone a black eye. And that's what Paul says he does with his flesh. I beat up my body. Not literally work with me, okay? Beat up my body. My flesh does not tell me what to do. I tell it what to do. And keep it under control. The word is dulagogeo. Now look at the first half of that. Anybody recognize the first half of that? Dulas, what does that mean? Slave. And ago means to lead. So to lead a slave. So I keep it under control. Uh, yeah, you do. The word means to enslave. So it says, if I see some guy lifting weights to enter a powerlifting competition, Paul goes, when it comes to my spiritual life, I beat down my body and enslave it. We're serving Jesus today. I don't care. I don't care what you want. I don't care if you're tired. I don't care if you're lustful. I don't care if you're hungry. We're serving Jesus today. How intense is that? That's not an illustration I came up with. Those are the words Paul used. Well, what, ha what happens if I just don't want to? Paul goes, then punch your flesh in the eye. Show them who's boss. Jesus is boss. Self-control. Now, some of us say things like, wait a minute, Tyler. We're not supposed to be in control of ourselves. Jesus is supposed to be in control of ourselves. Okay, I don't deny that. But let's think, Galatians chapter five. The fruit of the spirit is, what's the last one? Self-control. Don't, don't try to get cute here. Well, I shouldn't have to do anything. Jesus will do it all. That's not what he says. 
The fruit of the spirit is self-control. When the spirit is filling you up, you are able to control yourself. The mark of a spirit-filled man is self-control. So to strive for self-control then, friends, is not a sin. It's desirable. It's a virtue. It's something that you want. It's something the spirit gives you. And we need to hear this. Let me give you a story. I live in Alabama now. Auburn is the other big university down there. And everyone down there is pretty proud of Charles Barkley. The round mound of rebound, they used to call him. That was his name. Because he set the SEC record for the most rebounds. But he was a little porky. And everybody kind of knew it. The round mound of rebound. He gets drafted by the 76ers. He's on this incredible team, but he's not getting any playing time. And he's like, wait a minute. I was the guy five minutes ago. Why am I not getting any playing time? So he goes to Moses Malone, who's on his team. Knocks on the door and says, hey man, why am I not getting any minutes? And the way he tells the story is that Moses Malone sat up and said, honest? Yeah, honest. He goes, young man, you're fat and you're lazy. And if you don't stop that, you're not going to get any playing time. And he says, but what I'm willing to do is to help you. If you're willing to work with me, you're willing to get up and exercise with me, stop eating the things. He says that the diet he was given was if it tastes good, spit it out. Don't you like that? I think, we, I think I could benefit from that a little bit, honestly. It changed everything for him. He says, that was the moment for me because he had been able to coast all the way through life, but then he finally got to a level where it was so intense, just coasting didn't work anymore. So now we've got to put some effort in, and you all know what happened. He went on to become an all-star. He became an MVP. He became a two-time Olympian gold medal, and he's in the Hall of Fame, and he credits all of that to this conversation that this guy had getting in his face a little bit. Some of us are just fat and lazy in our Christian lives. We take it in, we take it in, we take it in, and we never give it away. Another Bible study, another podcast, another small group, but you, you're not giving anything away. Some of us know everything there is to know about how best to control yourself, and you don't do any of it. Sometimes it can just be fat and lazy. I know what God's calling me what to do, but I haven't made any provision for it, and if I were called today, I'm not ready. We've got to do this. Because we know what our targets are. We're not running aimlessly. We're not beating the air. God has told us. I mean, just start with the commandments, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Don't lie. Don't covet. Don't steal. Don't murder. Don't even hate. Don't even lust. You know these things. You can add to them the things that God has told you to do individually. Ephesians 2.10, works prepared beforehand that you should walk in. You've got to look at those targets Apply that same strength and effort you do to your athletic life or your business life or your hobbies and apply that to the faith. I'm trying to tell you this today because we can think that it's bad to do that. You're disciplined in your practice and you're looking stuff up and you're learning and getting better and improving and setting targets and goals for yourself. And then it comes to the Christian life and we're just supposed to float? No, Paul says, no, do all of that, but do it God's way and for God's purposes. Because, the end of verse 27, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. That word disqualified is a dokimos, means worthless. Judged worthless, disqualified. Aaron Judge hit 62 home runs this year. Beat Roger Maris's record. I'll bet you, Sammy, Mark, and Barry were really hoping he didn't hit that 62nd home run. Because now, for the rest of time, the conversation is going to be, who's the true champion? Is it this guy? 
who competed according to the rules or the guys that were on steroids. And however you feel about that, that's what's going to hang on them forever. And that's what Paul's talking about. Because I've got to put forth all the effort I can according to the rules so that I don't become disqualified and that my ministry is worthless. Hey, friends, you can fail. You can fail. Your Christian life, you can fail. You can fail to accomplish what God has called you to do. You can fail to live the life that he's planned for you. You can fail to reach eternal life if you don't put your faith in Jesus and follow him all the days of your life. It's possible. If you don't know that, you need to know that. Paul puts it like this, and again, he's using an illustration, but he says, only one receives the prize. Now, the Lord is going to save a church of people. But Paul says, you've got to live like the possibility of failure is real because it is. Jesus said in Matthew 7, many will come and say, Lord, it's me. Look, it's me. He's going to say, I don't know you. I never knew you. Israel was delivered out of Egypt with plagues and miracles and the parting of the Red Sea. And then they get up to the promised land and said, no, thank you. And so where do they spend the rest of their lives? In the wilderness, in the in-between, in the nowhere, in the, oh, well, I'm saved, but the abundant life is way over there and I'm not crossing over. Well, that's Old Testament. Yeah, but Hebrews tells us that that is an illustration to put the scare on us to follow Jesus. He says, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it, for good news came to us just as them, but the message that they, meaning the wilderness generation, heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. That's the difference, man, is you can hear as many of these messages as you want, but if you don't put your faith in it, and I'm talking an active, mature Christian faith, it's not gonna benefit you. Just hearing it isn't enough. Faith is to come through hearing. If you're only hearing and you're not doing, the Bible says you're, you're useless. It doesn't matter how talented you are. It doesn't matter how much potential you have. It doesn't matter how much other people look at you and go, wow, you're really doing a great job. It doesn't matter. There are draft busts every single year. Anybody ever have a football team that drafted somebody and you thought this is going to change everything and this is our year, man, and then within a few weeks, the guy's like on the practice squad or he's like carrying water for the other folks? Happens every year. They dominate in college. Everybody knows this is going to be the next whoever. And then he shows up and nothing pans out. It's the same thing for you and me. What matters and makes the difference is an active faith to follow the Lord. Now, maybe you're here and you're like, yeah, I know you can fail because I've been failing. My whole life has been failure. I've been striving. I've been struggling. I've been trying to do this. And it just, I can't get my hopes up again. I, I used to like hearing exciting Bible studies, but now I don't like them because I've tried and I've messed up one too many times. And if I get my hopes up and mess up one more time, I don't think I could take it. Brothers and sisters, that's not Jesus's voice talking to you. That's fear. That's fear that says, I want to go to the promised land, but it's giants in the promised land. Enormous giant half demon warrior people that are going to step on me and chew me up and spit me out. And this one guy's got six fingers and six toes. Another dude has an iron bed that we're going to keep as a souvenir after it's over because it's so big. I'm not going in there. But what did Caleb and Joshua say? They say yeah, we can take them. If the Lord delights in us, here, here's a question. Does the Lord delight in you? All right, how about this? Does the Lord delight in his son, Jesus Christ? That's an easy one, guys. Come on. Does the Lord delight in his son, Jesus Christ? 
All right, raise your hand if you have been united by faith with the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, the Lord delights in you. He delights in you. So this, this thing applies to you. He will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, meaning don't stop, don't quit, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. I love that. They are bread for us. That, that's like some Hulk Hogan stuff, man. I'm going to chew you up and spit you out, brother. That's Caleb and Joshua. It's like, we can take them. We can do this. That's your life. Well, I can't do it. No, you can't. That's the whole point. But when you step out in faith, the Lord supplies his strength and leads you on and pushes you through. And victory is waiting for you. There's no giant that cannot be crushed by Jesus Christ. No giant. Neither depression, nor pornography, or marital strife, or bankruptcy, or addiction. These things cannot stand against you if you are in Christ Jesus. That's why Paul says... We've got to be diligent and disciplined because the stakes are real. We're talking about families and lives and countries and nations. It's time to get serious. And I'm hoping that I'm liberating some of you who know how to do this in other parts of your life, but you feel like it's somehow wrong to apply it to your Christian life. No, no, no. Paul says to do exactly that to chase after the spiritual goals of the judgment seat of Christ and the laurels that will be given with the same fervency and fire as the greatest athlete, the greatest artist, the greatest entrepreneur. That is yours in Christ Jesus. And I know these are dark days. I know that these are strange times, but that just means that the light is gonna shine all the brighter. Don't you know that? We're gonna see things in this generation that we've never seen before. And if you, listen, if you're in this room, you're this generation. Young folks, you're not the next generation. You're this one. Those of you who are older, you're not the last generation. You're this one, right? We don't let demographic data tell us what generation we are. We're all here now. Well, I'm just waiting for the rapture. But Jesus said, occupy until I come. You should be fervently and feverishly busy when the, the trumpet sounds. And we're going to see things we've never seen because the world is doing stuff we've never seen. I cannot wait. This is going to be the case when every church is filled up with people whose testimony was, I took hormones, I transitioned, I had the surgery, and now I found Jesus and I'm here. That's what we're looking forward to. People that said, I got into the neo-pagan stuff and I started worshiping Thor and Odin again. And then I realized why Jesus was greater. People that were all obsessed with justice and these weird linguistic theories, they find that the only place to find true justice is at the cross. And all these people that drive us crazy on TV are gonna be in God's church raising their hands and singing amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That's what's coming. So what do we do to get there? I discipline my body and keep it under control. I take every thought captive to obey Christ. You are a part of that, Christian. Don't you know? I'm going to end with one, one short illustration here, and then we're going to go to the communion table. The danger of this kind of message is that you can start to think, so you're saying that if I don't do, hit these specific targets that I'm somehow failed? Let me tell you a story. So I, I realized that I was not a kid anymore and I needed to start exercising. So I started running and I was running aimlessly, let me tell you. And I signed up for a 5K. I did terrible. 
So the next year I said, all right, I'm going to do this one again and see how I do. I show up for this 5k and it is like 20 degrees outside. It's free. All the breath is coming out, right? Seven people showed up. Now, if it's 20 degrees in Alabama and seven people showed up to the 5k, you know what kind of people those are. That, that, that's this guy right here. This, that's the, the person that's got the suit and got the hat and is like ready to go and you know, hasn't had a, had a steak since 84, you know, and they're, they're serious about it. And then there's me, you know, and I'm, we are ready, set, go. I got last place. But guess what? I also got a medal. <laughs> I won my age group. <laughs> because there was nobody else in my age group. <laughs> And so they said, all right, and the winner of the 30 to 34 is Tyler Warner. And I go, everybody's laughing and clapping. And I've still got that thing. It's hanging up on my wall in my bedroom. Because sometimes all it takes to win is show up. I wasn't the fastest guy in Birmingham, but nobody else showed up. The Lord is not expecting you to get out and win the race by comparison with somebody else. He says, just show up and I'll reward you for it. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that what the Lord does for us? So for those of you that are here that are thinking things like the, light, the world is so dark and the, everything is so terrible and the universe is so big and there's so much suffering, what's the point of life? Jesus Christ has died on the cross for the remission of sins and we are waiting to see him again in heaven and that gives us all a reason to get up in the morning, doesn't it? Are you excited to share in the, in the, the communion this morning? The bread and the cup that reminds us of the body and the blood that makes all this possible? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for doing this for us. We're desperate to see you again. And God, we want to we be welcomed in with joy on that day.